welcome to The Unveiling with your hosts, Ajay, Mark, and Tim. Three guys discussing the one true gospel. We hope you enjoy today's discussion. Let's dive right in. Welcome back to The Unveiling with your hosts, Ajay, Mark, and Tim. This is episode 23, The Holy Spirit, part three. So that means we've had two other episodes where we've been talking about the mission and purpose of the Holy Spirit. And today we've got a couple of more lined up to talk about. And I'm going to go ahead and kick us off today, guys. I want to talk about the Holy Spirit transforming us into the image of Christ. And that's, you know, maybe not the only most important thing he does, but it is one of the big thing he he does. And we take this from 2 Corinthians 3.18. And we who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So right there in it, it says, transformed, you know, being transformed into his likeness. That's the Holy Spirit doing that because we have no ability to do anything like that. We have no idea to make ourselves more Christ-like in deed or appearance or anything. This is a process that's known as sanctification. Now, just one of those big Christian words, let me define it. Sanctification is the action of making or declaring something holy and or the process of being freed from sin or purified. Sounds really confusing what's going on here, but it really isn't. It's really straightforward. Sanctification is the process of the Holy Spirit stripping away anything that isn't isn't Christ-like. So some of our fleshly nature gets stripped away, our desire to sin gets stripped away, and it bring and those pieces help bring our spirit into holiness. The likeness of Christ. This is an important part to a point to me. The likeness of Christ is not produced by imitation. It is produced by inhabitation. Nothing we can do. We can't look at the Bible. Our WWJD bracelets really aren't that helpful in the long run. Uh, It's not something we do. We don't read the Bible and try and act like Christ and and to become Christ. But the Spirit dwells in us and changes us from the inside out. WWJD bracelets, what would Jesus do? And I always kind of jokingly say, he'd tell you to throw that cheap bracelet away and turn to him and rely on him instead of you doing anything other than loving him and putting your focus on him and walking in his spirit. So, Amen. Uh, my apologies to those that, sell, that to those that make those and sell them, but sorry. Well, the idea comes from a good intention, but it's a really bad act because, uh, again, it's not about our works, our actions. It's about the Holy Spirit indwelling us and changing us from the inside. So the other verse I was looking for was Romans 8, 29 and 30. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, he also called. Whom he called, he also justified. And who he justified, these he has also glorified. So there's another reference right there to the Spirit making us into the image of Christ. So I've, I've put up my kind of put up my 
theory and my my uh, proof texts. So what do you guys have to say? Yeah, if I can uh, jump in, Tim, you know, I think I again want to emphasize the point you made. The sanctification are being transformed into the image of Christ. It's not by our trying. It's not by our, you know, working hard at it or like, you know, wearing a WWJ, whatever it is. I can't even say <laughs> the bracelets. Uh, but, you know, it's simply, you know, it's a spirit's work. It's not our work. And we also see in Galatians chapter 22, it says the fruit of the spirit. There's a work of the flesh. You know, it's interesting. It The words that are used, the work of the flesh, right? It's the flesh that works. But the opposite of it is the fruit of the spirit. It's the fruit. It's the spirit that bears the fruit in us. It's not us working hard to bring out the fruit. No matter how much a branch works, it cannot bear the fruit. The fruit comes out by the branch resting in the vine and uh, actually taking the sap from the vine. That's how it bears fruit. And again, the branch responsibility is only the bearing the fruit. It's not producing the fruit. That is one thing. You know, the other thing, you know, I also wanted to uh, kind of bring to light is we talked about it uh, before as well. We are in three parts, spirit, soul, and body, right? So we we have a new spirit uh, in the old body. And in the middle, the soul that consists of mind is uh, being renewed. So our part is to simply look at the Lord Jesus Christ, right? You know, who he is, because in looking at Lord Jesus Christ, we look at ourselves. And as we look at Lord Jesus Christ, and as we behold him, the spirit transforms us into his image. The other way to look at it is, the Bible says, if if any man is in Christ, he's a new creation, right? And the Bible also talks about, we are seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And in Ephesians, it says, you know, Two times in Ephesians and also in Colossians, it says, you know, put off the old man and put on the new man. So this new man is created in Christ Jesus and he's perfect already. So what Holy Spirit does is, as we look to Jesus Christ, he takes the new man and actually makes him, I don't want to use the word real, but, you know, more and more of the new man manifests in us and more and more of the old man we used to be kind of falls by the wayside. But again, the important point is all of this is by grace. It's not by working hard. It's not trying to imitate our Lord Jesus Christ, but simply resting in the finished work of Lord Jesus Christ and simply looking at our Lord Jesus Christ. Because the Bible says, as he is, so are we in this world. So when we are looking at Lord Jesus Christ, we are looking at ourselves, the new creation that we are in Christ Jesus and the more we look at ourselves and the more we believe what the Lord Jesus Christ had actually made us, the Holy Spirit brings it to reality in this body. I want to focus on a word you used that I love, Ajay, when you said our part is simply to look at the Lord Jesus Christ. Now that word look has a bigger meaning than just taking your two eyes because we can't look. It means to contemplate him, to think about him. Like if someone said to you, you see what I mean? They don't mean, do you see what I mean? They mean, do you understand? Do you, have you thought about it and understand? And that's what I.J. I believe you mean by we're transformed by looking at the Lord Jesus Christ. Just as my translation, the, the NIV, 
of 2 Corinthians 3, which is the passage Tim read at the beginning, says, And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which is from the Lord who is the Spirit. So within that one that Tim read, it's telling us it's the Spirit. As we contemplate it, look at him, And for us to be able to look at him, we need to remove that veil of works, of the law, that whole old covenant mentality. In Tim's uh, translation, it said reflect, which is another great word for look. We reflect on something. We contemplate it. Here in Romans 12, it says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. There's that action of your mind again, setting your mind on Christ, looking at him, contemplating him. As we do that with unveiled faces and hearts, the Spirit transforms us into him, makes us look like him. So I I just love that. No matter which one of those passages you use, whether it's look, contemplate, um, renew your mind, or just here it says, present yourselves. Really looking at God is just presenting yourself, you know, just taking the focus of your mind, which is distracted on the rest of life, many things, good things, but taking that and turning your your mind and your spirit to Christ and looking at him and being transformed. So, in fact, Mark, uh, I was also bring, going to bring up Romans chapter 12. It says, you know, like you said, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So, as we just discussed, you know, our spirits are brand new and our bodies are old and in the middle is the soul and mind is part of the soul. So, Renewing of the mind plays a key part in terms of you know living out the new mind and living out, out the new life that we have in Christ Jesus. So by renewing your mind, by understanding, to your point, right, by understanding who we are in Christ Jesus, we renew basically. You know, we understand our new identity, and based on that, you know, we live our new life. Again, you know, when we live our new life, it's not we doing it. We simply understand and accept what the Lord Jesus has made us. And the Spirit brings to life who we are already made in Christ Jesus. Mm-hmm. So in Romans 12 there, Paul agrees with you when you use the word look. Because because before he says, before you present yourself to God to be having your mind renewed, he's saying the reason you do it, he says, is in view of God's mercy. There's another look word, view, which really means to think. As we consider God's mercy, his love that prompted him to forgive all our sin and make us new and declare us righteousness, That's our prompt. That's what compels us to continue to present ourselves and contemplate his glory. I always say that the gospel, anytime you hear the gospel, there's never an and, if, or but. It's always because of, since, or in view of. Paul's saying is, okay, 
you've thought about and understood God's mercy. And because of that, that's going to cause you to take your mind and further contemplate Christ and be transformed. That's your whole motivation is because you've already been moved by him. And obviously, it's the spirit in the first place that gave us faith to first look at Christ and understand and receive. My The biggest takeaway I take away from this particular subject is I don't have to do it. I know as Christians, we all want to be more Christ-like, but we couldn't in our flesh not be sinners. We needed God to save us, and he gave us the Holy Spirit. It's now on him to change me. All, all I have to do is keep myself focused on him, and we can, uh, and he will make that change within us. From first to last, what you just said the Apostle Paul said the righteous will live by faith from first to last. So you don't start, like you mentioned, having faith in Christ and then start picking it up yourself from there. It's from first to last. There's zero room in there for us to add things other than just to rely on Christ, to look at him, contemplate him, reflect on him, view his mercy, view his goodness. Excellent. Well, let's pick up another topic going forward here. Mark, I'm not going to introduce it even. I'm just going to toss it over to you and let you move forward with your next point. Okay. Well, my point is this, and it's one of my favorite scriptures that has really been on my heart. Well, I've, I've written songs with, with this truth, with some of the lines of scripture, and it's just always as I'm a worship leader— one of my big passions and callings is just to remind believers that God has set his spirit on them as a seal of ownership. He's given them his spirit as a deposit, guaranteeing their futures, guaranteeing the riches of the glorious inheritance that is theirs in Christ. You can't lose that. He's given you a seal and as I, I did some study this week <clears throat> on what a seal is in Scripture. And seals have been around in history throughout the centuries. In, in, in early Old Testament times, kings were the first one. They all wore signet rings. It was the king's ring. And anything that they would, they would melt wax on it. Anything that had that seal of the king's ring, that was a stamp of ownership, of protection and security, and that stamp was irrevocable. So, you know, when the Bible uses that same terminology, seal, God has put that seal on us. It means that, and Paul says over and over, I'm going to share some of the scriptures, that the spirit is a seal of ownership. It's a guarantee. Uh, it's a seal of protection as well. We are under the protection of the God of all creation. We are secure in him. We can't lose it. He's not going to lose us. We're not going to lose him. It's irrevocable. He will never change his mind about you because he, you are in Christ and Christ is in you. I want to share a couple scriptures here. Just remind people that an example of that seal thing was when Christ was put in the tomb, the Roman governor, Pontius Pilate, put his seal on there. 
That was a seal of protection and security. Anybody touched that, they were it was capital punishment. You were dead. You don't mess with the power of the Roman governor. How much greater is the seal of our God than a Roman governor? And I love Romans eleven twenty nine. It says, "For God's gifts and His call are irrevocable." So I know so many. Uh, sincere Christians have debated throughout the years over whether someone can lose their salvation. And I just, how can you argue against the seal of ownership? You belong to God. He's put his spirit in you as a seal of that ownership, as a deposit and a guarantee of your future. Who's going to have the power to break that seal? Nobody. It's impossible. And uh, one 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 point that really jumped out at me as I read, as I did my uh, kind of studying for this week is listen to this in Deuteronomy twenty nine. This is Moses presenting the old covenant to, to the people of Israel. He says so. So God commanded Moses to call out the entire nation at once, and Moses said this. He said, "You are standing here." in order to enter into a covenant with the Lord your God, a covenant the Lord is making you with you this day and sealing with an oath to confirm you this day as his people, that he may be your God as he promised you. So the old covenant was intended to make the people his people, and he would be their God. He sealed it with an oath. Okay, but we all know the ending of that story, that because it was a covenant, we were not able to withhold our, our, our side of things, so that oath was broken. In Hebrews 8, <clears throat> the Apostle Paul quotes the prophet, and he says this. He says, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt, because they did not remain faithful to my covenant, and I turned away from them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will establish with the people, declares the Lord. I will put my laws in their minds and write them on their hearts. I will be their God, and they will be my people. Now, I I just love that because it's so clear. The first covenant was made with an oath. That covenant was broken by the people because, as he said, they didn't remain faithful to the covenant. He says, the new covenant I make, I'm going to put in their minds and on their hearts. That's the spirit. That's the giving of the spirit that Christ talked about. It's not dependent upon our faithfulness. We couldn't keep the one made with an oath. So he said, all right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make this covenant for them in my son, in his life, that I'm going to deposit the spirit in them so that my laws will be written on their minds and their hearts. It's not going to be written on a cold stone tablet, but now it's going to be written on hearts of flesh through his spirit. So you can see a a main difference between those two covenants. One was on an oath dependent upon us. The other was dependent upon him. He did it all and then gave us his spirit and our minds and our hearts. And that's an everlasting covenant, it tells us. 
Yeah, I would like to read one scripture on the seal, Mark, you know, what you mentioned. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13, it says, In him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise. You know, the picture that comes to mind, you know, I've always imagined that is, think of Christ as an envelope, you know. In the olden days, they would put stuff inside an envelope, especially when kings want to send something to others, like a letter, and then you close it and then you seal it, right? So think of Christ as an envelope, and then Holy Spirit took us and put us inside that envelope, which is Christ in heaven, then closed the envelope and then sealed with the seal. And that seal is <coughs> Holy Spirit himself. Mm. So think of that. It's like, you know, that's how strong, you know, our uh, work of redemption is. Um, and the Bible also talks, you know, in addition to Holy Spirit being the seal, it also talks about Holy Spirit as a down payment or the guarantee of our inheritance. So Lord Jesus Christ, after saving us, and when he's going to heaven, right, you know, he said, you know, I'm not going to leave you as orphans, but I'll send you the comforter. So for us, the evidence or the guarantee that, you know, what is the guarantee that, you know, once I um, die, I will go to heaven. The guarantee or the down payment is the Holy Spirit. So God gave us the Holy Spirit for every believer who believed on the finished work of Lord Jesus Christ. When they believe, they receive the Holy Spirit as a down payment, as a guarantee of our inheritance that is ours. Two more things I want to bring up about the seal is that, you know, you mentioned several of its attributes. Two more of them are, number one, it was authenticity. This, this was something that didn't get replicated because all the rings, all the signets were handmade and things like that. So you, all, you could tell with close examination it was the ring of the authority. The other thing is authority. It gained, it granted you the authority of the ring bearer. So if the king gave me permission to go out and do certain tasks and people didn't want to do them, I could hold up my my paper with the with the impression, the seal on it and go, but the king told me I could do it, so you have to treat me like the king. I have the authority yep. of the king. So that's just two more words, Marky. I think you alluded to both of them somewhat, but I wanted to clarify. That's awesome, Tim. I want to go back to uh, the scripture that Ajay read in Ephesians 1, which is one that I found here too that I had, which I think is an awesome one. And at the end, when when you read, when you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. Now, the word in your translation said down payments. That's what a deposit is. So I just love that. And last week, and you also brought up John 14, where Jesus was telling his disciples that after I go to the cross, after I leave you, I'm not going to leave you as orphans, but I'm going to come to you. And then kind of a realization I had and we had during that is that when we're given that deposit of the Spirit, it's Christ. We're given Christ. Christ is in us. And I got to tell you, since that hit me, I've been thinking about it so much. And I, I can't tell you the last time I felt this close to Christ as I've walked since our last pod podcast in my life. 
just realizing that the spirit in me, that deposit, is Christ himself. Amen. Just brought Amen. like a new nearness and closeness yep. for me. And I hope it does that for you guys and for everybody listening. Um, I got a couple more scriptures here I wanted to share with you guys. Uh, 2 Corinthians one twenty says, For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so, so through him, the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. Now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us, set his seal of ownership on us, and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. So there's another scripture along with Ephesians 1 that backs that up. This is not a theology built on one scripture. There are many scriptures that talk about the Holy Spirit as a seal of ownership and a deposit guaranteeing. Ephesians 4 said, says that, uh, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Uh, and then here's, a, here's another great one. 2 Corinthians 5 uh, talks about when this life is over, what appears to be death to the people that are still living, that appears that we died, this is what it says about our experience on the other side as we go through it. It says, for while we are in this tent, meaning our bodies, our earthly bodies, we groan and are burdened because we do not wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. I just love that term. Our experience of death is going to feel more like being swallowed up by life. And then he goes on to say, Now the one who has fashioned us for this very purpose is God. So he's telling us we were meant for life. God didn't create us to die, to be, you know, sin came in and did that. But then he redeemed us because from the beginning he fashioned us for life. And he says, and to prove that, he has given us the Spirit as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. So there's a fourth scripture of Paul. This is a theme throughout Paul's preaching, that God has given us his seal of ownership, and his spirit as a deposit. This isn't a theology, a fringe theology taken out of one scripture and then added to by mankind. This is the Apostle Paul, the greatest preacher, and who had the deepest knowledge of the gospel of anybody that ever lived, um, preaching to believers. You need to realize you are sealed. You, you are guaranteed. Your future is guaranteed. Don't worry about a thing. I love that. Uh, and just one final thought before I hand it back to Tim is, as we talked about John 14, Jesus saying that he's not going to leave us as orphans, but it's him that when he sends his spirit, it's him that's coming to live in you. And we know from Ephesians 2 that it says that, that uh, God has seated us. He's raised us with Christ and seated us, seated us in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Well, in John 14, when he said he's coming to us, it's also telling me that we're seated in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, but Christ Jesus is seated in the earthly realms in us. 
it's this relationship that, you know, and, and that to me, that's all I don't understand because I'm seated in the heavenly realms. It's, it's holy. It's above anything we can understand here on earth, but the doneness of the deal, I'm already seated with Christ and he's already seated in us as a deposit guaranteeing. It's just a wonderful two-way guarantee. We're We're already in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. He's already in us as a seal of ownership and a deposit and his very presence. We can know him and commune with him on the most intimate level mankind can know. Yeah, one other awesome truth about that, Mark, is you know, Christ in me is also the new me in Christ. So it's important to realize that our new man is so joined with our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, the Christ in me is actually the new man in Christ. So when we realize that, right, you know, we don't, that's our perfect union with Christ. When we realize that, we don't separate ourselves from Christ. You know, most of us think that, you know, Christ is there and I'm separate from him and Jesus tells me something, then I have to do. Or the Holy Spirit tells me something, then I have to do. Then they again fall back into flesh and the law because now again, the onus is on me. Even though Christ is living in me because I'm not, seeing him as one with me, I am seeing him as something living in me, telling me to do stuff, then I have to do it in my own strength. And that reminds me of this scripture also. This is another awesome scripture in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 13. Actually, verse 7, it says, But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, so that the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God and not of ourselves. You know, back to your point, Tim, you said, right, you know, it's not up to us. We have this treasure in the earthen vessels, which is the Holy Spirit and Christ in me, so that the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God and not of ourselves. One final seal on here. <laughs> Let me seal this with this. It's Colossians 1, the Apostle Paul says, I have become a servant of the gospel by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Oh, I just love that, man. That's really the gospel he's saying here. The mystery that had been kept hidden for ages, and through him now he was commissioned by God to disclose to the Lord's people that the, that this mystery, this gospel, is that Christ is in you. He's your hope, the hope of glory. Oh, that's so good. Yeah, so you know how little most of us appreciate the presence of God and Christ in us, right? We are still thinking, you know, we lack stuff and we need something more. And people seem to value things. Even in heaven, their idea of heaven is, okay, I'll get some medals, I'll get some crowns, and I will walk on the streets of gold. All that is well and good, but we already have Christ. Even on in this body, on this side of heaven, we have Christ in us. You know, how little we appreciate that. Why do you think that is, Ajay? Well, I don't know. It's just a matter of revelation. We don't understand what we have. 
There's the key there. I think the word understand yeah. is is a big is a big part of it. And that's really what the mission of the unveiling is for the three of us first, and then hopefully others benefit from it, is that we gain more understanding of Christ in us, the hope of glory, and us in Christ seated in the heavenly realms. Now, Tim, did you have something else you wanted to talk about? Thanks, guys. That was a great point. And I'm sorry if I feel if you feel like I'm moving you along. I you am the master of the clock. So, so uh so let's move along to the next topic. Uh, I think, Mark, I think we're going to cover this. My one of our all of our favorite verses where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So why don't you sure. take us from there? Now, this is an awesome one because freedom is one of those words that just sounds like what it is. You know, I, I remember the end of uh, Braveheart when William Wallace just screams out, freedom! You know, freedom, man. Who doesn't love freedom? Freedom's awesome. And and for for uh the spirit to be revealed as the giver, the true giver of freedom is, is just such a great thing. I'm going to read something here. We already talked about it. Well, first of all, we had a three-part series on freedom earlier on. So if you haven't listened to that to all our listeners, please go back. That was a really enjoyable one for the three of us to do. But we're going to touch on it again specifically as the Spirit is the giver of our freedom. And I want to quickly just reiterate uh, what we've already talked about in uh, 2 Corinthians 3, where where the Paul, Paul spends a couple uh, a couple paragraphs comparing the old covenant with the new covenant the old covenant being the ministry of death and condemnation only meant meant to be a transitory covenant the new covenant being the ministry of righteousness and the spirit and an everlasting covenant covenant after he compares them He says this, he says, whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. So turning to Christ takes that veil of law and works and rules and regulations and us doing and our ability, it takes it away. And then he says this, just so we're not, just so we have no confusion about who this is that's bringing us all this goodness um, who's who's taking the veil away and bringing us to Christ. He says, you know, when he says, when anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. He defines who the Lord, he says, now the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So to me, this whole chapter and what Paul said right there is the biggest freedom is the Spirit is our freedom from the veil of the law from condemnation, from from the law of sin and death, which we've talked about this um, just in great depth about how just the ramifications of no longer being under law, no longer Christianity, no longer being a religion 
or rules or performance or behavior modification, whatever you want to call it. So the spirit is the freedom from the law of sin and death. And Romans 8 also says that. Romans 8 says, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. So there's that word free, freedom. Uh, The Spirit has set us free from the law of sin and death and given us life. And so when you think about freedom, it's always really freedom from something and freedom to something else. So so from the from side, we've got, we've, we're given by the Spirit the freedom from the law of sin and death, from its condemnation. We're also set free from the spiritual forces of darkness. We're set free from the dominion of sin, and we are set free from death. Let me read a couple more uh, scriptures here to back that up for you. Uh, Jesus quoted Isaiah 61. He said, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me, because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, and release from darkness for the pre- for the prisoners. So the Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is, who is Christ himself, is saying he's proclaiming freedom for the captives, a release from darkness. To me, that darkness means a darkness, a spiritual darkness. It means the um, forces of spiritual darkness in the heavenly realms. It means addictions, bondage. Uh, so free, and we, we, you know, there's some, some types of bondage or literal bondage, just as uh, uh, the Spirit of God led Israel out of captivity and bondage in Egypt. Others are bondages of our own making, bondages of this world, the brokenness and things that happen to us that, you know, things happen when we're kids and we're in high schools that in high school that have had a hold of us for years. The spirit of Christ has come to break that bondage. The spirit, spirit of freedom has come to set us free from that. And he will do that. Um, and, and if you keep going on in Romans 8, he sa- it says that the, the mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. So it's freedom from death, and it's a freedom to have life and peace. Now I'd like to open it up to, the, to you guys to just kind of respond to that. Mark, you know, you brought out an awesome truth, right? The freedom in reference to that scripture is freedom from the law, the freedom from the law of sin and death. And even in Romans chapter 8, in the same chapter, you've been quoting scriptures from, in verse 14 says, right, 14 and 15, for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry, Abba, Father. So here his reference is, you know, bondage again to fear. What was the bondage again to fear? It's the law. So he's saying that, you know, you have not, the law is the spirit of bondage. Again, we see that in uh, Galatians chapter 4 as well. Paul, you know, compares Hagar to the law and Mount Sinai and Sarah to grace. And he calls us the children of the free woman. So, The other contrast here is, right, under the law, we were slaves, right? 
we were not slaves to the law, but we were slaves to sin and death, right under the law. But now the contrast is we have come from uh, the slavery to sin and death to freedom, and not just just freedom, right, to the freedom of the children of God. We have become the slaves from the slaves of a bond woman to the children, the free children of God. How good it is, right? How amazing it is. Not only just free, but the free sons of God Almighty. So that is so cool. Here it says, like in this chapter or in the scriptures that I read, as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Here the freedom is in reference to the freedom of the children of God. So that is so cool. We are not only free, but we are the free sons of God. And under the law, we were not only not free, but we were slaves. Under grace, we were not only free, but we are the free sons of God. Yeah, I, I want to I wanna just, this is a, a hair split here. I believe we were, you said we weren't slaves to the law, but we were slaves to death. I, I don't believe that's true. I believe we were slaves to the law. In fact, Paul calls the law a yoke of slavery. But the reason that we're slaves to the law is because when we're under the law, we are under the dominion of sin, which brings death. So it's it's a fine point. That is, yeah, that is true, Mark. I think, but if you go back all the way to the garden, right? What came is first is sin and death, right? When, uh, when uh, Adam ate of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, sin and death came. And then they came under the law. The reason law became a slavery is because they could not keep the law. It, the most unfortunate thing is like they ate of the law not knowing that they cannot keep the law. Right. The moment they ate of the tree of the law, sin entered and they died and they could never keep the law. So there is this, I think, yeah, I think you're right. Both They are also slavery to law because now the law is like a slave master telling them to do stuff. Right. But they they don't have the power to do it. So they're forever in this bondage, both to the law and also to sin and death. Sure. And it's fairly irrelevant which is the chicken and which is the egg. You know, they're both slave masters. One one makes your life just feel like nothing but condemnation and a yoke. Like Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary, and I will give you rest for my yoke is easy. My burden is light. Where the yoke of the law is is heavy, it's condemnation and guilt, and ultimately is going to lead to death because it puts you under the power of sin. So again, a head split here, Mark. I'm sorry, but... It's not ultimately lead to death. We are already dead. Yeah, we're dead. But we're dead because Adam and Eve originally chose the tree of the knowledge of good and evil instead of the tree of life, which brought the sin and death. So we can go back and forth for the rest of the night, which, you know, which came first. But they're, they are very uh, ugly twin sisters, you know. No, no, no. That's not the that's not the point I was making. I was thinking we are already when we are born into this world, we were dead, and then when we are exposed to the law, we could not keep it. Yeah, you're right. You're right. We had I was no just life. Going back to, to the garden yeah. at the very beginning, which is what you had done too. But you're right. We're born in inheriting Adam's curse of death from the minute we're born before we've had a chance to do anything right or wrong. 
Yeah, that's the reason, you know, it is, uh, it makes no sense to make an attempt to keep the law because we have no power to keep the law to begin with. Well, guys, some of that was really deep. Uh, and so what I'm going to do is I'm going to encourage people as you listen to this, if you have questions, reach out and contact us. And we'd love to hear from you. Also, if you are listening regularly, we hope you've subscribed and I hope you're sharing this with your friends. That's going to be enough for us tonight. Thanks, guys, for another wonderful evening. And we will talk to you all the next time. We would like to thank you for listening to The Unveiling. We hope you have enjoyed it enough to consider subscribing and sharing with others. We welcome your questions, comments, and feedback. You can reach us via email at theunveiledgospel at yahoo.com or find our Facebook page at The Unveiling Podcast. For IJ, Mark, and myself, God bless, and we will talk with you next time.